we actually have a training session every two weeks and in that training session we actually do a little five minute section where we go through our job costing on a on a PowerPoint and we talk about you know what jobs hit profit and why and what jobs didn't and why and so it's really just coaching your team to realize what you know how can you be efficient it goes back to managing your project it goes back to ordering your material having it delivered it goes back to taking the allotted lunch breaks and getting to the job and getting back and so once you develop a culture like that it takes a little while you start to see some really profitable projects Today, we have Dan Dowdy of S&D Plumbing out of Austin, Texas, joining me on the podcast. We cover a lot of ground here, but two of the things I really like that he shares that you're not going to want to miss is his awesome structured approach to his regular training sessions. We get into breaking that down to how he handles the training sessions for each role in his company and also how he uses his job costing reports to create a performance-based compensation plan for his crew lead. So lots of good stuff in this podcast. If you're not already a member, head on over to Facebook, look in the link below this uh, episode in our show notes. Join our Facebook group as well. And always, always, always leave me some feedback. Whatever device you're listening on, whether that's iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, leave me a review on there. One star, five star, good, bad. I want to hear your feedback. want to hear what you have to say. Now, let's jump into this awesome conversation with Dan Dowdy. Dan, welcome to the Home Pro Success Show. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate you having me on here. So you own a plumbing company out of Austin, Texas. Why don't you give us more detail on this operation that you have out there? How long you guys been in business? How big of a company are you? What services do you do? What do you not like to do? Give us a quick rundown here. Bring our guests, our listeners up to speed on your operation. All right. So a little rundown on S&D plumbing. We've been around since 1980. I am a second generation plumber. So parents started it. We are fully in a residential service with a a niche in the leak detection world. So we do quite a bit of that. We have about 30 employees that work for us. We run about around a $6 million a year revenue stream through just residential plumbing only. And, you know, we just believe in and running the best quality service company with the best values and just treating people with with integrity. But at the same time, we're very progressive and and we just look to be the leaders in in our industry. So. A little bit right on, right on. I heard something there that kind of stood out. Well, I heard two things that stood out and I made one sense of them. You said you had 30 people and you're pulling around 6 million in revenue. So the basic math says you're coming in at 200,000 per employee, which is a pretty healthy number. How did you get to that number, essentially? Because that's quite efficient. I always look in terms of, or I always think in terms of labor efficiency rate. You know, behind a trades business, I've said this before, the key number that we all need to know is our labor efficiency rate because that's the biggest expense on our income statement. You know, forget about the coffee, forget about how much money you're spending on the phone bill and cable. Labor efficiency rate is what's key. And Dan, it sounds like you've got the labor efficiency rate dialed in there. Yeah, we, we definitely do. And it's not by accident. You know, to tell a little more of my story, I ran a service truck for 10 years, so like 2001 to 2010, 2011, somewhere in that realm. You know, we were a small family-owned service company and we just did a little bit of everything. We started to find a little bit of a niche in leak detection, but we still did remodel new construction service and all that. But it wasn't really until the past five or six years, we started to really find a focus in the residential market that we really started to narrow down what we were really good at. And so what leads to really great efficiency is it boils down to really having a great core focus, having a great marketing strategy. So you're getting the customers in front of you that you know you want. And it's really just training your team to, to deliver a consistent service that is matching your service system across the board. And then what you'll see through an incentive-based pay program is that you'll have technicians out there who sell, you know, half a million to a million dollars a year a pop. So 
it definitely works, but it really boils down to knowing what you're good at and having a really great training system in place to produce that. You said a lot of stuff there, so we can take this a lot of different ways, but let's backtrack a little bit, or not backtrack, let's jump back, because I see the logo behind you, and you guys that are going to be listening to this on the podcast can't see the logo. We'll have to put a screenshot of that in the notes below, but it says basically EST 1980. Looking at Dan, I can tell that he is not old enough to have started that company in 1980, so when did you take over the company, and what was the backstory? All right, so backstory is my parents started it in uh, Galveston, Texas, 1980. I was actually born in 83, so you're right. I was uh, a little, <laughs> little too young for that. So, you know, I, I think for generational companies, you know, some people can probably, probably relate to what I'm going to say. I mean, for a long time, we struggled just to keep the doors open. You know, it was a one-truck operation. We were trying to figure it out. All of my years growing up, I worked summers with my dad, just trying to learn the business. And really in 2010 or 2011, when I was kind of knighted to the manager position, I really still wanted to be a service tech. I had no idea how to manage anybody. I just knew I enjoyed doing plumbing. And so my dad was like, no, I'm ready to get I'm, I'm ready to start backing out. You got to start taking over. And, and my training was, you know, he would tell me, well, you know, you just got to learn how to fill the company. You just got to kind of know what's going on and you got to be able to just tell when you're not doing well or when you're doing well. And it was, it was kind of the old school approach to running a, a plumbing company. And it worked for him for a lot of years. AKA, you are the company. Exactly. Exactly. I don't need a standing up, standard operating procedure. That's all right here in my head. Exactly. So I, I, still, I still think there is a little validity to that. You have to be in touch with your company, but we do it through KPIs and through looking at certain metrics. And we do it through the way we communicate internally with our management team and the way we communicate with our technicians all the way across the board. So I have learned a lot. And the reason why I've learned a lot is that, you know, I decided one day, like, I'm never going to know it unless somebody shows me how to do it. And so I, I, that's when I first, you know, became a part of a, an organized group, a best practices group, and I hired a business coach. And the rest is history. I just started learning from business coaches and I started plugging in and going out and, and seeing other locations and seeing how it was done. And I just figured out where my, you know, what I enjoyed doing the most and started making a, a, a name for myself in the industry. So what year was it that you took over? Just to kind of clarify, that was 09, 2010, 2011. I mean, I guess we don't need an exact year, but I heard that right somewhere in that kind of window. I think, I think 2011 is probably pretty accurate. And what did the company look like at that point? I mean, how many trucks did you guys have rolling around? So at that point, as far as what we did, so our company probably had, I would say probably three or four or five trucks running at that point. Our specialty at that point really was, it was still leak detection, but we really, the light bulb went off my head when I started actually looking at the financials and realized that 70% of our company was all insurance related. And the other 30% was actual customers like residential service customers. And the market was pretty volatile back then. And I started thinking, you know, what if we just got fired by all the insurance companies or what if they stopped covering claims, you know, what would, what would my company look like? And I realized it would be 30% of what it actually was. And so that's when I had the kind of aha moment that I needed to continue doing my, my insurance leak detection work. But at the same time, I needed to make sure I built a foundation of a, of a legit service company that could, that could last if I ever lost the, that kind of business. And so now 2019, I sit here and say 30% of my company is insurance work and 70% is, is residential service. So I've, I flipped the tables on that without losing any revenue in the insurance world. So building it up on the other side, just to kind of clarify, what 
what what type of projects would you do for insurance companies? Was that leak detection or is the leak detection strictly going to the residential market? It's mainly leak detection. You know, those customers will call their insurance company and say, Hey, I have I have water on my floor or you know, my, my toilets are backing up or I have mold on my wall or something. And then they would call us. So you were doing primarily the leak detection for the insurance companies and then subsequently the repairs? That's correct. Yeah. And then uh, you basically, you carry that same service over. You just started expanding or capturing more of the residential market for that? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we were, we were always known for, for the leak detection, but, you know, we started figuring out, you know, through coaching and through people showing us the proper way to run a service company. I never knew there ever existed that you actually had a service system of how to run a service call. You know, we would just think that everybody should just run it like us, you know, but that you know, if you're going to try to grow a service company. You're not going to hire a bunch of dams, right? I mean, you can have that illusion that you think everybody's running the service call the same way, but it's not until you lay it out and you start training people on that, that you start to get that good, consistent service. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So you started capturing more of the residential customers. Now you still do if somebody has like a clogged drain, you guys still handle that leaky faucet, you guys still handle all that. But the meat that you actually want is the leak detections. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, in, in my business, a big part of the the increased revenue is leak detections typically lead to like, you know, in, in our area of the world, we actually do tunneling under foundation. So there's nothing for one of my technicians to go out on a leak detection call end up selling like a forty or fifty thousand dollar repipe job for a drain system. So it definitely can inflate numbers in that realm. But we also so we have our service team that goes out and, and does a leak detection or does the service work and sells the additional work. And then we have a project team who actually does the the uh, install work on whatever we sell. So so you guys you guys got it all covered. Basically, you've got you know what is essentially a service section and almost kind of like a I guess a not. I don't even want to say install. I don't want to say remodeling. But the the team that actually goes out there, a project based team that actually goes out there and kind of tackles the larger projects for the leak detection and stuff, which can be fifty to sixty thousand. Yeah, it can be. And I actually did the, the leak repair, not the leak detection. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the, it's kind of the dirty job side of things. We 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 do what a lot of people don't like to do and uh, or, or don't have the expertise to do. And we actually had an episode of, of Get to Work, which is the marketing deal that Scorpion Marketing shot with me, I think this last year. So if you if you YouTube Get to Work Scorpion S&D Plumbing, you can kind of get a behind the scenes of what that looks like when we actually tunnel under foundations. It's, pretty, it's a pretty interesting process. Yeah, I know from my experience operating a trades business that I would not want to be managing those projects. I mean, because you don't even know what you're getting into. I mean, we'll we might dig out some footers and, you know, kind of pour a four inch nominal slab, you know, so we got to go a little bit under earth, not more than a foot usually. And who knows, you know, what kind of baloney we run into down there. I can't imagine what you guys are running into tunneling around underneath houses and stuff, and then trying to find the actual pipe or wherever the leak is. That's some challenging stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. There's a quote out there. I forget exactly who made it, but if you, if you want to make money that others can't, you have to do the work that others won't. That's it. Sounds like you guys are doing just that. Yeah, we do. do we do just that, and uh, we do we do it very well. You know, I, I always tell my customers like whenever we're starting a project like that, hey, look, you know, this is an unfortunate situation. We're not like giving you a brand new kitchen or doing something that's going to be yeah. That you can actually spend. nobody was crazy that they have to spend this exactly. money exactly. Like nobody's excited about spending thirty thousand dollars to get new pipes under their foundation. All they see is a giant pile of dirt in their yard. You know, they don't they don't really get to enjoy actually seeing the hard work going on under the foundation. So that's why I do try to capture some good videos and good footage for our customers to be able to see what's actually taking place under the foundation. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So the company, when you kind of 
took over the wheel was five or six trucks. How many of you guys got out there now? I know that on your website, you got a big picture of the whole company, all the people. It looks like you've kind of grown quite a bit since then. Yeah, we have. So we have 30 people in our company, 10 in the office and 20 in the field. So we run, you know, our company is very unique because, you know, if I just said we run 15 service trucks, well, some of those are actually going to be installed trucks too. But we do run a very high revenue with a very low amount of technicians because we have a very uh, kind of a real niche in the market, but we also have very qualified technicians. So at this point right now, we run seven selling technicians and then I want to say total, we run about another seven guys in the or trucks in the field. So around 14 trucks right now. Right on, right on. You guys are a pretty good size operation among plum, plumbing companies. Certainly not the largest in the world, no, but you guys no, are yeah. larger than average and you get, you know that. Let's talk about training and stuff. You know, you got this labor efficiency rate, which I just pointed out was quite high, at least intuitively, it seemed like it based on the math. It seems like you're doing quite well. So you got these, you got some employees that are really honed in and disciplined and, you know, kind of following some procedures, certainly because you don't get those numbers without having proper procedures, good training. Talk about that, man. How do you bring these guys up to speed and how do you get these numbers? It's not easy. That's for sure. I mean, so really, I guess to start from the up from the higher level, it's really developing a good set of core values for your company to develop a great culture and know who you're trying to hire. And then second of all, it's really uh, developing or writing a good service system. You know, like we have a nine-step service system we call our flow to success. And so, you know, whenever we have our weekly training meetings, we try to focus a lot on the training aspect on it and not so much on the actual meeting aspect of it. So we actually, for the hour and a half that we spend with our guys in the room, we're actually putting together some some good material that they can take directly into the field, which in return allows for a great a, a great return on investment, but also it's how you incentivize your guys too, right? So, you know, our service techs are our commission-based uh, group, like a lot of uh, progressive companies out there. But what makes us really different is that we live by our core values and we very much m- monitor the integrity and the honesty of who we have running. And we very much uh, monitor the quality of service that we're providing our customers. And then all the project guys are incentivized based on efficiency. So if, if a selling guy sells a $20,000 project and the project guy and, the, and it goes to the project team, then that project manager actually pre-job costs that job based on the selling price and gives that team, okay, you have five days to complete this for a 45% profit and we'll pay you 5% off that for a bonus. So everything's incentivized, everything's kind of monitored. And once you start looking at those, right, it's like what you, you know, whatever you have dialed in and you're watching, people are going to be doing for you. And so it's just having great systems to be able to to monitor all those things. I agree 100%. Let's talk about your job cost report there. That's pretty interesting. And I think a lot of contractors don't do that stuff. What what does that look like? How do you guys bring that up? Or how do you pull that off? Is this, what, what, what program do you use? Kind of give me the overview on that. All right. So the program I use is just an Excel spreadsheet. But really it's, you know, so... Once the job is, is sold from the customer, it goes to the project team. He plugs in the total cost of the job, obviously, the, the total price. And then he takes out things like permits and material. He takes out things like subcontractors if we're going to have any. And then we also charge, sometimes we'll pull out you know, fuel for the day and things like that. So we try to get all the hard costs out of the job. And then from that point, you know, whenever he's pre-job costing, he'll you know, we have our, our, our total uh, cost per, per hour per employee in there. And so he'll plug in a certain amount of hours and play with the numbers until we hit that 45% range. And it really allows us to do two things. One, it allows us to see how many days it's going to take 
to hit that profit. Second of all, it allows us to see if we're estimating properly. So if we look at a sewer line that should take 10 days to do, and we only have enough money in there for a five-day project, and then that's a great training opportunity for our team to go back and say, hey, we missed this one. We need to you know, dial it up and get it dialed in. So once we do that, so if you're starting a project for me, you'll get some paperwork with a diagram, a permit, and then typically a job costing sheet that tells you, all right, you have five days, you have $2,500 in material, so on and so forth. And those guys go out and do it. They shoot to do it in less than five days or whatever the allotted time is. And then that project team, we actually have a training session every two weeks. And in that training session, we actually do a little five-minute section where we go through our job costing on a, on a PowerPoint. And we talk about you know, what jobs hit profit and why and what jobs didn't and why. And so it's really just coaching your team to realize what, you know, how can you be efficient? It goes back to managing your project. It goes back to ordering your material, having it delivered. It goes back to taking the allotted lunch breaks and getting to the job and getting back. And so once you develop a culture like that, it takes a little while. You start to see some really profitable projects. Right on, right on. So it's if I'm hearing you correctly, you've got a project manager that kind of oversees all these larger projects and he's making that report and then kind of saying, hey, team or hey, foreman of the team, you're responsible for, you know, falling in line with this, you know, falling in line with this report. Exactly. Yeah. It sounds a lot harder than what it is. I'm trying to explain it over, over the uh, Facebook live or the, the podcast. So it, it's, it's a pretty simple Excel spreadsheet that we use and that is correct. So we run in like two person teams. So we'll have a crew lead and then have an apprentice with that crew lead. So they run together every day, same crews. And they, and each of them specialize in different things. Some guys are better at water lines. Some guys are better at drain lines. So, yeah, so once they get that, they know the a lot of time. If the job turns bigger, obviously that grows. But really it's that it's looking at the profit percentage and then we pay a certain percent off of that. So if they hit 45% or more, then we'll pay 5% to the total crew. And typically the way it's split is the crew lead gets three and the apprentice gets 2% or the crew lead gets four and the apprentice gets 1%. So they definitely weigh heavier on the person that's more responsible for the project. And it, and it works, you know, I mean, we, we can definitely see, you know, the guys really getting motivated and really starting to see how their brain starts to work and realize that I can't just go take an hour lunch and just waste time in the mornings and not get to my job or go spend time in a supply house. And so it's a, it's a way to create ownership in a project without having to pay somebody a commission to do it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot to be said for, how should I say this, incentive-based pay. We operate on a similar structure at my company. We don't actually have job cost reports for our projects. They're a little bit, little structured a little bit different than you. One of the things that I think is key here, because a lot of people do these job cost reports, so many people will look at them and compare costs. But from there, they just kind of look and they look at it like, oh, we you know went over budget, we went under budget. Something that's key is you have to take that and turn that into a training tool and training mechanism and use it. Otherwise, it's just some numbers that really don't matter if you're not doing anything with them. And I think a lot of people get stuck at that point. A lot of people make these numbers, look at the numbers. And then from there, like, oh, we made some money. Oh, God, we, you know, we really took a hammer to the back of the head on this one, you know, and we, we're not going to do this again. We're going to move on with our life. And there's really nothing that kind of gets put into gets, uh, you know, gets ink to paper, should I say, in terms of improvement. So you're taking this and you're turning this into a training session that happens every two weeks. How many, well, how many training sessions do you guys have 
with your crews regularly? Yeah, so we actually, I do, on a typical week, I'll do three different ones. And, you know, Corey, one thing I hear a lot, especially for smaller businesses, is we can't afford the train. You know, what if we train our team and they leave and all these certain things. And what I see going out and visiting shops, I see, I, I hear them talk about, oh, yeah, Dan, we're training, we're doing this. And then they tell me, well, we just kind of sit around and we talk about jobs. The next thing you know, an hour and a half has passed and we really haven't done anything. Where we get the most leverage in our training sessions, so we actually have a set agenda that we follow every training session. So, you know, like for my for my service techs, my veteran service techs, we meet once a week, Wednesday mornings from 7 to 8.30. So we do a 90-minute session. And in 60 minutes of that is we're either role-playing or we're doing some kind of specific training based on our service system. On Tuesdays, I meet with my up and coming, like my drain techs, the guys that are, are, are getting getting ready to be licensed and go into that, the full-time service tech world. And so that whole hour from seven to eight, we're strictly just role-playing, either we're, we're role-playing our service system or we're doing some kind of technical training to teach those guys either a product or how to, you know, a service that we offer, something like that. And then on on Thursdays, which is every other week meeting, we do our project meeting where we have our guys in there who are more the install guys and we talk about job costing and then we do some kind of safety topic or we do some kind of hands-on training uh, with those guys as well. So. So, so, so it's a weekly thing and you break it out. I mean, it sounds like you have three operational roles there. I heard drain tech, service tech, and then install guys essentially. And Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, first thing in the morning for you, at least you're going through and covering something with each one of those groups. Exactly. Yeah. And and so what I found, Corey, is that, you know, the time put into preparing the trainings is what the technicians are actually going to get out of it. And it really, I know it sounds simple, but it, it you know, so I'll, I'll put an hour or two into preparing for my meetings to make sure my trainings to make sure I have good content. And so the biggest, the biggest secret is, to, is good preparation. You don't have to be a whiz in PowerPoint or anything, but putting up some kind of PowerPoint with some good material and then really sticking with an agenda. So starting on time, ending on time, doing a, a, the same agenda. And then the, the, the last point I want to say is, is that you just really need to bring one topic. A lot of times people, business owners feel like they need to bring five different topics or there's five issues going on in the company where I need to address all those in one meeting. The problem is technicians are very simple minded. And so if we bring more than one topic to the meeting, they're not going to pick it up all the way. So you really have to keep it simple. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, even myself as a business owner, I'm very simple minded. I can only focus on one thing at a time. You know, if you want my attention, hey, schedule my, you know, schedule time to get in front of me. That's really the only way that you can get through to me. Otherwise, I've got so much things, you know, going on in my mind. And it's just kind of the way it is, you know, so one topic at a time. One thing I'll just kind of note, because I do this for my own meetings, is I'll just make through the week, I keep an open notepad app on my cell phone on my iPhone here. And I'll just kind of note, you know, for each one of the meetings, because I do weekly meetings as well for specific roles in the company, I'll just kind of note the things that I need to cover, you know, the the quick bullet points like the, hey, don't do this again. Hey, make sure that doesn't happen. And I'll note that stuff because I find or what I used to find was that I'd come through, you know, I do meetings or training sessions and I'd have a specific topic for training, but I'd be like, man, I know there was so much other stuff that I wanted to bring up and talk about in this, but I have no clue what it is. So I always keep a, you know, just kind of an open note log for each week, you know, on my cell phone, whenever the stuff pops up, whenever I think, you know, I really need to address that, put that on my note log. Otherwise it just goes in, in one ear, out the other, boom, I forget about it. Yeah, it's definitely good to have that uh, noted and, and be able to follow that, follow up with that. We, 
We use the content portal a lot in Service Titan to be able to bring things up to certain technicians or the entire group, or we send group emails. But a really powerful tool that we use also is Trello, which Trello is a great way to do internal communication. So I don't know if you know a whole lot about that, but... I know all about Trello. I, I do use Trello. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're like Trello maniacs. So we have Trello for everything, all the way down to our truck inspections and our... We, we do truck rotations and inventory. So I'm, I'm guessing most of the office team is using Trello. Yeah, so it's all, it's all mainly office team. We don't have the technicians. Right. That's, that's exactly how it is at my company. We don't use service type. We have a program called KickServe, uh, Field Service Management Software. All the techs are on that. The office team is obviously in there too, but for all of the miscellaneous office tasks, the truck inspections, the tool checks, you know, the service call checks, uh, satisfaction call scripts, et cetera, all that stuff we have saved out in Trello. Exactly. And, and going back to training, Corey, I mean, just to keep it really simple for the, the business owners listening out there that want to start training or want to really dial in their training. To me, it's the two biggest things is, is first of all, for company culture, you have to have a set of core values in a company that you have posted, that you are following, that you do believe in, because it's really the parameters of how, what kind of character you want your team to have. So it is very important. But second of all, it's just having a very good, clear, defined agenda to what you're going to do. So like for our agenda, every training session, we start with a positive focus. And so five minutes we go around, everybody says one positive thing in their life. We go directly on to spending five minutes talking about our core values. So everybody sets a core value. We usually, we may share a core value story, how Bob, you know, delivered excellent service and demonstrated integrity or whatever it is, you know, whatever your core values are. So we really bring in the light for five minutes. And then we go directly into, we allow our technicians to give a little story time. So we may spend five or 10 minutes and that's the time that they can kind of talk about a customer or talk about a a scenario in the field where, hey, I I had this water heater and I figured out how to reset the gas valve and here's how you do it. So we find value in that a lot, but we go, we go into that. Once we do the little story time, then we go directly and spend five minutes into like a company scorecard where we show metrics from the previous week. I don't want to cover more than five minutes of metrics because I don't want my culture to be all about the money because anytime you have a commissioned uh, style service system, it quickly becomes about, oh, who's the big dog who sold the most money, all about the money because we're really in the serving world. We're wanting to serve our customers. So we cover a little bit of that to keep them on edge. And then we go directly into sharing our five-star reviews for the week. We hand out some spiff money for our reviews. And then, so usually my service manager will do that section of the meetings about 30 minutes. And then I really enjoy training. So then I'll spend the last 60 minutes on a specific training topic. And it's all about getting out of your comfort zone. It's all about, you know, you yourself role playing, making sure your techs are role playing, making sure they have it dialed in to what you expect. Because, you know, everybody says, well, they should have common sense or they shouldn't know how to do that or you always hear that. Well, that person should have had the common sense to know that. And what I've figured out with the, with the younger generations, and even my generation, but, the, but you know, millennials and, and all that is that they're not, they're not a bad group. The problem is, is they just weren't really taught a whole lot of common sense, a lot of them growing up because they weren't necessarily taught to work with their hands, you know? So I just find that sometimes you got to reel it all the way back to the basics and whatever you expect them to do, you have to train them on how to do it. Otherwise you can't really complain that they're not doing it. So I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. So what did you guys, you guys, it's Thursday, you guys had a training meeting this morning. What did you guys cover today? Let's hear that. And today, I think Thursday, if I'm uh, remembering correctly, would have been your install crew. Would have been my install crew. Install crew meeting. And actually that was, that that was last Thursday. 
So we go every Tuesday. Oh, install crew I does every other Thursday. Yeah, every other Thursday. And so I have been I have been dialing it all the way back to the basics. What we covered was preparing for your day. And we went out and did truck inspections. I checked for extra uniforms. And we just we really just dialed back and and I had them come up with their own procedure for what a clean truck looks like. Because, you know, I think everybody in this service industry always battles the same culture things with some some techs have really clean trucks and some guys don't. And I'm trying to really get a team that buys into a culture of, of, of professionalism. And so lately, I talking about bringing it back to the 101, I've been I've been really just dialing in with my service system. So we talked about preparing for your day, talked about getting a good amount of sleep, eating a good amount of breakfast, you know, charging your phone and iPad, having a fueled truck, having a clean truck, having an extra uniform, you know, showing up on time. So it doesn't sound like much. People listening out there is probably like, really? He trained on that. But I'm telling you, sometimes you have to dial it back to the very basics to make sure the guys know that you are serious. And and what I'll do, like this next, like my next training session, I'll before we, whenever we start, I make everybody stand up because we've had some uniform issues lately too. So everybody will stand up and they'll know that if somebody's out of uniform, they're going to get called out. And then we'll go out to the trucks and we'll open the doors and everybody will show their extra uniform and we'll check, we'll inspect the trucks and. Once you do that a few times, people start realizing, kind of getting the message that, hey, we have to be on top of our game or we're going to get called out. And then uh, we just move on from there. But but typically in that in that realm, we're talking about trench safety or we're doing something may do a soldering class or may do, a, you know, some kind of plumbing class and in, in, in the install crew of things usually. Yeah, that makes sense. We do something similar in my own company. One of the things you didn't mention that we harp on is refueling the trucks. Trucks should only be refueled in the afternoons, evenings on the way home from a job site. You should not be stopping at gas stations a mile up the road from our office. You know, we find that it's most efficient if people leave the office and go straight to the first job. Otherwise, when they make that first pit stop at a gas station, I don't know what they do, but I've had trucks stopped at gas stations for like an hour. (laughs) So it's a common deal, you know, and I'm sitting here talking like I have it all figured out. And I just want to let your audience know, like, it's still a, it's still a thing in my company. Like even at 30 people, like I'm, I'm telling you these things, you're like, wow, he's really, yeah, I'm really still having to build a culture of accountability. And it's, that's one thing I've learned about training is, is training's typically lost in the next four weeks. So if you train on a topic, that technician may retain that topic for up to four weeks. And so when I say I have to repeat my trainings, I mean it like every few months I'm going back to the, to the drawing board and we're, we're redialing in the focus. So when it comes to training, some people think they have to have real high level sales training or they have to just really stretch their, their mind. But it really just dial, comes down to you have to have a good service system and then you have to add in some great hands on training here and there. You have to do some soldering classes or some plumbing classes or some water heater training, bring a vendor in every once in a while to kind of to kind of spice things up like our our technician training this this week on Wednesday we had delta come in our delta rep came in and we're kind of on a smart home plumbing kick and so he talked about the new kitchen sink faucets that are alexa compatible so the guys got a kick out of that so we're going to start offering those whenever they hit the market they have, they don't even come out in the market till the summertime so we'll add some fun stuff like that that's awesome you guys will be the first people in your market that actually know what to say about them, know how to install them, you know, all that stuff. That's pretty nifty right there. Get all the new innovative projects or products in front of your guys before they even hit the market in your weekly training. That's pretty cool. We're trying to, we're trying to for sure. 
Yeah. So well, you hit something there that was pretty key is that people don't retain the information as long as you expect. And that was something that I've adapted to kind of recently. I always expected like, all right, well, we covered that three months ago. You know, I don't want to cover that again, but you know, we have some new people that start at my company. We've got a pretty long uh, tenor period. So we don't really have much of that, but the information gets washed away or people care less about it after they've heard it, you know, or after a few months have passed kind of, you know, with time, things fade away. So we do the same thing. We'll bring up the training topics again in the not so distant future, just after two or three months. And that really helps with a lot of things, you know, and just going back to the basics. Yeah, it really does. And and you really got to get it to that subconscious side of things. So where it's like second nature to where they're just doing it, doing it out of, out of uh, just habit. So you practice it so much that it becomes that. And, and one thing that I've really realized is that you, you really have three different stages of influencing your team. One is mentoring, one is training, and then one's going to be coaching. And so I just wanted to kind of define this for the group is, is anytime you're in a mentoring relationship with somebody, that's a mutual relationship that you're going to share your experiences to hopefully influence that person. So typically you have some street credit to where you can actually, that person comes to you and says, Hey, Hey Dan, I want you to actually mentor me. So there, you can have some of that in business. The next one is training or sharing information. And that's what we do a lot of. And what that is, is just, it's pretty much teaching technique. You know, it's more of either teaching technique or just reminding them of the technique of what you're wanting them to do. And then the last part is coaching, which I think in my business, I was missing this for a long time in coaching. What it is, but that's more of an internal reflection. You're asking questions to people who, you know, already know the answer, but you're getting them to dig down deep inside to come up with that answer. And so to, in response to the four weeks and you lose it thing, I think if, if, you, if you're a company that has technicians that are veterans and that do know better, if you're finding that they're calling you all the time and they're asking you the same questions like 50 million times, you have to start coaching better. You have to start returning that question with the question, make them internally reflect and then come up with the answer. And then I guarantee you, you're going to start seeing less questions come your way that are, that are considered stupid or, you know, a waste of time. So that's what I'm focusing on more right now is, is the coaching aspect. So that's why I said like when I'm talking about, okay, you know, what is a truck inspection or what does a clean truck look like? I ask it like that. All right, guys. So we're having truck issues, you know, people aren't cleaning trucks. Let's sit down and let's dial back. Like, what does a clean truck look like? And so I'll pull my dry erase board out and I'll get somebody up there and they'll say, okay, all the trash off the floor and all the trash out of the back. And by the time we write the procedure, I'm like, all right, so y'all wrote this. So now moving forward, I know that y'all know exactly what I mean when I say I want a clean truck because you wrote the procedure. So now I've coached them to actually take ownership of the process and it's amazing what it does because now that all the accountability is on them to where if they come with a dirty truck, I, I just pull it back out and say, hey, man, you wrote this. You know exactly what I expect. And it, it's, a, it's, a lot, it's a lot more powerful way of getting the message across than just telling somebody what to do. Let me ask, have you ever had to implement, and I know you had, have had to, I have had to too. Let's see if we can pull up some examples here. But have you ever had to implement something, a new procedure, a new policy, a new check, whatever it might be? that you know everybody is not going to be crazy about and subsequently you're going to have a hard time getting them on board have you ever you know do you have any examples you can pull out like that and let's talk about what we can do to help get people on board with these types of things let me kind of try and think about something here going back in my mind 
There's a lot of things. I can't think of it. There's nothing that comes up right off the top of my head here. This is something I'm pulling out on the fly. These these recordings are totally unscripted. I mean, usually, I mean, like for instance, we, I was I was at a, at a conference in Orlando a few weeks ago, and companies were writing mission, vision, and core values, and I and I was telling the the guys, I said the or the the company owners, the way you need to present this to your team is not that I've written this and now this is going to be followed. It's more of like, hey guys, let's sit down in this training session. Let's talk about what, you know, let's talk about company culture. So what values do we have in our culture that we portray now? And I would pull a dry erase board out and I'd pull somebody up there to start writing on it. And we would just start writing things down because you may have already had the core values worked up, but it's getting that ownership because you know that you're, one of your core values is probably going to be integrity, right? Or trustworthiness or whatever. And so, you know, you can funnel, you can kind of bring that out of your team. And so then you say, okay, now we got 10 different things up there. Okay. So between now and next week's training session, I'm going to work up what I think is great core values that y'all have come up with. And I'm going to present that to the team and see if we can't get buy-in. So that's one way to do it, to really get the team to take ownership and feel like they have ownership, even though you've already worked it up behind the scenes. It's similar in that way if you're trying to present a, a new process to the team. So what I do, Corey, is, you know, my culture is built around getting the opinions of the team involved. And so I ultimately know that as myself being the owner, I'm making the final decision, but I don't go in saying, hey, guys, here's a final decision. Here's what it is. Even though I know what the final decision may be, I always try to have a collaborative session and I always navigate the conversation to bring out what I want to hear from my team for the most part. So you're starting, you're, you're starting kind of, well, you're starting behind the point is really what you're doing and got letting the, uh, letting the team guide to the point. Exactly. It's like, I already know what I want to, you know, if I know it's a process that has to be implemented, then no, my, they're never really going to influence me. But if I have something that comes that I want to do, that I, I know is going to influence my technicians, like they're going to have to present this product to the customer. Say it's a new kitchen sink faucet. I'm going to have that rep come and present that, or I'm going to show them and actually have them check it out. Cause I want them to have hundred percent belief in what we're offering to our customers that it is in fact the best product for our customers. And so I, you know, if I'm going to add something new to my price book, I'm going to get hundred percent buy-in from my team before I add that to the price book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff there, Dan. And let's just hear it real quick. What are the core values of your company? So we have uh, service excellence and then demonstrate integrity and then be responsible, strengthen the team. And then let's see, strengthen the team. And no, I can't think of that. Come on, man. Don't let us down. (laughs) Let's see. Did I say deliver excellent service? You did. Demonstrate integrity, be responsible strengthen the team. Oh, and make it better. So our core values make it better. Th- those are our titles. And then they really break down at the three sub points below it. So like demonstrate integrity is follow all procedures, exhibit entity, internal and external and service above self. And then like our make it better is yourself and your skills, positive attitudes, solutions oriented. And I can't think of the last one, help and mentor others. I don't know. So it, it's, a, it's our core values are kind of all inclusive. And so below each, below the five core values, we have three bullet points that really define what those mean. So call them out like that. I really have them all memorized. Well, that's, that's quite a bit to remember. Yeah, 15, yeah, you're, 15 things essentially is what you'd have you're to really uh, put me on the spot there. Now, do you have that printed out and like listed on, you know, hanging up in your office somewhere where everyone can see it? Is it just a part of, you know, your tech books? How do you bring it up? I mean, do you, do you actively keep it in front of people? 
We do. We actually have three different places in our office that we have it. So we, we have two separate buildings on the same street. One's for our training and material and other ones for our, our office location. So we have two in our office location and it's just like a big, probably four by three printed out board with our core values on it. And so they're always visible for our team. And then we also have our core focus, which is create unmatched value and professionalism and residential investigative plumbing repair. So we have that listed on there and, and we treat that, that core focus as kind of the, the target of what we're trying to service the customers we're trying to service out there. So, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're busy, we're constantly looking for that residential service customer or that leak detection niche all the time. It's only if we get slow that we may take a commercial customer here and there, we may do something like that. So. Yeah, we, we do the same thing. I mean, we've got a very defined target audience that we market to, but, you know, based on supply and demand, we may open things up, we may restrict things. And we actually keep multiple documents for the events when we do get, you know, busy suddenly our calendar. Sometimes, you know, it'll be like, you'll have a week where it's just like you just sell the world and you're booked out like two months, you know, and at that point we, you know, we'll switch over to a different set of uh, documents for services and pricing and stuff like that. But that's a whole nother topic that we could go on and we're running out of time here. But there's one thing that you said earlier that I didn't get a chance to ask much about or hear much about. You mentioned something about a nine-step flowchart. Mm-hmm. What is that? Tell us more about it. Flowcharts always kind of pique my interest. All right. So yeah, we call it our flow to success. That was it. And it's nine steps, yeah, right? Or am I wrong on that? It's nine steps and we have one for our CSRs and we have one for our technicians. You know, it's, it's, it's just really showing the technician. So from preparing for your day to arriving at the job to introduction to the customer, it goes into building value. It goes into presenting options. It goes into doing the work, completing the work all the way down to asking for the review. So there's nine steps and under each one, we have bullet points. So in my training center, I have it big bold across the wall, flow to success, and they all break down. And so if I'm ever out of topics to train, I literally can go on building value forever or presenting options forever. And it really, it, it allows it to almost be a, not only a template to how they're supposed to run the service call, but also if they, if the service tech is struggling, it's a great way for your service manager to go back to the flow to success and say, where are we missing it? Like, what point are you missing in your presentation? You know, and, and it's amazing. You know, a lot of it starts with how they're preparing for the day and how they're showing up to work, you know. Are they showing up with good rest? Are they showing up with charged, you know, iPad and phone? Is their truck fueled? Is it clean? Do they look presentable? All that really plays a big role in, in providing that, like we talked about before, providing that perceived value for what, you know, for what we actually charge for our service. Right on, right on. So you got the flow chart and you, I mean, essentially it sounds like what you're doing is tying in most of your training to it, or at least the standard operational kind of stuff. When there's a problem, you've got something to go back to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we do. Yeah, that's pretty. That's powerful. Yeah, and then you, you go out and you ride along. Like tomorrow, I'm going to get out and w- with with the technician. My service manager does most of ride along, but I'll still get out once or twice a month and I'll ride, and I'll just go out and observe and just see kind of what's taking place in the field. So as you grow a service company, you have to remember you have to inspect what you expect, and so otherwise it's not getting done. And these tools that we're talking about today, I know it's a lot to take in for one session. But these are the, it's very simple, but these are the secrets to creating that consistent level of service you want across the board. So that way, when you are a $6 million company, you can have all the five-star reviews you want. You can't have all the happy customers you want. You know when you're dialing in your service system, when you have no complaining customers about price. 
because every time you have a complaining customer about price, you typically have a technician who's not doing his job right. And that usually falls in the, in the realm of building value. So, you know, it's, it always stems back to something, but I can say that the more you dial it in, the more time you spend actually training your team, the better you're going to be, the more efficient you're going to be. And then if you're inspecting what you expect, the dollars are going to be there for you and you'll have a good operating company as you grow. If you inspect what you expect, the dollars are going to be there for you. We're going to have to quote that one. Yeah. So Turn it into a meme on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's, it's true. You know, just keep it, keep it simple and have fun and have a great culture. Just take care of your team and they'll take care of you. And uh, I tell you what, they, they love the training. There's never a day that, that we're complaining about getting in there and learning something new. But it just goes back to preparing and bringing a good message to your team. And a lot of owners kind of like, ah, oh, Dan, I can't, I can't get up in front of the room and talk to my guys. I'm really nervous. And majority of us are all technicians. I just say, you know what? That's the best part. Get up there and start the message. Hey, guys, I'm super nervous. You know, I'm here. This is what I'm trying to portray to you because they're going to respect you more if you come up there like a real person and you get out of your comfort zone because then you're going to start seeing your technicians follow suit and you'll have a lot of fun doing it and kind of making fun of each other and just having a good time. So That is the truth. That is the truth. Well, we are out of time on that note. So Dan, thanks for joining me on this uh, episode here, the Home Pro Success Show. For our listeners out there, if they want to reach out, get in touch with you, what's the best way of doing that? They're welcome to shoot me a message on Facebook. It's probably the best way to start the the uh, contact and and i'm always willing to dan dowdy yeah dan dowdy and i'm always willing to share with people so if they have any questions or information they need just feel free to reach out right on right on when this podcast is published we'll put a link to it in the facebook group so you can always join in the facebook group do an at tag on dan or you know just ask him directly if you don't want it to be public anyways that's all we got here so on that note dan thanks for joining me on the home pro success show thanks Corey. i appreciate it You've reached the end of another episode of the Home Pro Success Podcast. Connect with us and join our collaborative Facebook group at homeprosuccess.com.